Yeah, we're certainly seeing an increase in somewhere between 25 to 30% in anxiety and depression and those sort of issues. People have, what it's caused is people have had to, they have stopped. It's caused them to stop and reflect on what's important to them. Welcome to Life Untangled. I'm Professor Jane Burns, and in each episode, we speak to people from all walks of life about their passions, the messiness of life, and what they're doing to make the world a better place. You're listening to another Torched Original. Are you feeling stuck when it comes to creating content for you and your business? Would you like a podcast of your very own? Or maybe you'd like to stand out and reach new audiences. Head to gettorched.com. That's G-E-T-T-O-R-C-H-T.com today. And we look forward to helping you on your content creation journey. And now, enjoy the show. Hayden Frecky. Welcome to Life Untangled. This is our sep- second blah, second episode and we're going to talk about psychological safety at work, which I know is one of your favourite topics and mm. workplace culture is what you, you know your bread and butter is uh, buttered with, your bread's buttered with. Exactly. So what is psychological safety? It's, uh, it's a complex uh, concept that is not easily defined, but it's really about uh, a fearless organisation. It's about people feeling safe to speak up, to say what they really think without fear of um, retribution or people ridiculing them and so forth. So it really is feeling safe to say what you really think in a constructive way. So feeling safe, and this is the challenge, I think, because we have these, you know, chain of command and... Mm. If I speak up, it's going to be career limiting. What am I, you know, what does it actually mean? So from a, from a leadership role, what role do leaders play in creating these psychologically safe work environments? We know that culture is hugely influenced by leaders' behaviour. So leaders play a massive role in creating an environment of psychological safety. Uh, and without going into a huge amount of detail around it, there's really three things that leaders can do to drive uh, a culture of psych safety. One is they can set the scene by being vulnerable and by encouraging what we call intelligent failures, that it's okay to make mistakes and to fail, but in intelligent ways. Then once they do that and they set the expectations right, it's about encouraging engagement through the right kind of questions and questions to go deeper, questions to go broader, how do they include and invite others in. And then the final one is to respond productively. to say once people do share vulnerabilities or mistakes that you actually encourage that next time rather than jumping on them and, 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 and discouraging that. So they're three things that obviously are incredibly complex but leaders need to demonstrate to create that right culture. So when the workplace isn't psychologically safe, what do you see? So, And you, you've got a global company. What mm. What's happening globally in workplaces? Mm. It's really scary sometimes when you don't see it because it's easy to say it, but a lot of companies don't have that psych safety, particularly where there's a massive power differential between people, whether it's, say, a legal firm and you've got the senior partner or it's a hospital and you've got a doctor and a nurse. So any organisation where there's massive hierarchical differences and power differentials what you see is you see people not speaking up because they're scared of, of saying things and therefore what you see is errors, mistakes, all sorts of things that are swept under the carpet. Uh, and so it really drives some poor performances and in some cases in hospitals, for example, people can end up dying because someone hasn't spoken up. That's terrifying, really, when you think about it, that... It's costing not just the bottom line and, and, you know, you look at a workplace that's psychologically safe, they do better in terms of their return on investments, their productivity is mm-hmm. higher, their creativity is higher. 
it just makes logical sense that they would put that in place. And then you've talked about the very end critical, and again, you know, sort of mm. the hospital example is someone could lose their life. Um, emergency services, mm. same things. Mm. Um, Defence forces, same things. That's right. Mining companies, mm. construction. So how do we get leaders mm. to top down, bottom up, think about it? Because it actually mm. just makes good business sense. Mm. It's not just a warm, fuzzy, nice, wonderful thing to have. It's mm. actually a critical part of creating a, a, a very good business. Mm. I think the starting point is actually just, first of all, for those in HR or organisational psychology or whatever, to understand that it's really complex and leaders need training, support, help to actually do this. because They don't need to be a psychologist, but they need help to do this. And so we as influencers need to make sure we're talking to the right people. And it probably does start with a business case. So, for example, Google did a massive project on the Aristotle project and showed that 36% of a team's productivity is based around just that one factor of psychological safety. So if you start with a business case, that's pretty powerful. Why wouldn't you listen to that? And, of course, beyond the business case, it's just the right thing to do as well. Once you've convinced people to do it, then, of course, it's how do you do it because it is complex to do it. So we'll come to that in a minute because you've written this book about Mm. how to do it, haven't Mm. you, which Mm. is exciting. The pandemic, I mean, it's globally it's just completely changed the world in which we live. Um, It's had massive... um, massive repercussions on people's physical health but also their mental health. Mm. It's had absolute diabolical impact on financial security. Mm. We're seeing the the impact now. What are you Mm. seeing in workplaces? Because not only have we had a pandemic, we've had people, you know, in Melbourne Mm. working from home 265 Mm. days and we've now got hybrid workplaces. The, The workplace as we know it has changed it's changed and it will probably change forever i think uh, certainly for the next decade um so those leaders that think we'll just be all right when we go back to the way it was are kidding themselves it's it's not going to happen um yeah we've certainly seen an increase in somewhere between 25 to 30 percent in anxiety and depression and those sort of issues people have what it's caused is people have had to they have stopped it's caused them to stop and reflect on what's important to them And what's important to people now is different from what it used to be. So in the US, they've talked about the great resignation. Um, It's different in different industries, so it's hard to generalise, but certainly a lot of people have re-evaluated what's important to them. And certainly wellbeing is important to them, having some kind of purpose, um, having a flexible flexibility, the hybrid situation. So for me, leaders need to listen to that and need to understand that's it because... If you don't, you're not going to get the followers. They're going to run the other way. So, yeah, I, I definitely think we, leaders need to change their mindset and realise that it's different. Purpose is so critical, isn't it? I mean, purpose-led businesses, but it's also such an important building block of mental health mm-hmm. and well-being. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the things we've talked about a lot in the prevention field. If you have purpose in life, if you have meaning, yep. if you feel connected, whether that's to your friends or whether that's as a part of your work or whether that's to your community, they are so important. Mm. Mm. And what I'm hearing you say is that if our leaders don't acknowledge that, they are their businesses are going to go kaput because they're not going to be able to attract those people. Mm. They're not going to be able to find those people. They're not going to be able to have those people as a part of. And they will end up with people resigning and you, that's going to add further pressure, isn't it? Spot on. And not only the, the, the other problem is if they don't resign, many of them might stay 
but actually not perform as well because they're not as engaged. So either way, leaders need to get this to drive performance productivity and uh, to make sure you've got high retention rates as well. Yeah. Um, prevention, mm. strengths-based approaches. You've mm. talked about positive psychology and how important it is, but what, mm. what does that mean? What is a strengths-based approach? How do, you, how do you build on, you know, we all mm. have different personalities. We all have different skills. We all have different ways of working. Mm. What does it look like to actually build on a, the strengths of people? Again, uh, there's lots of people who have done uh, years of research, so it's not simple. But I think it starts with a mindset of looking at people's strengths and leveraging and harnessing those strengths. Um, and, uh, you know, from simple things, quite often in, in days gone by, a leader might focus on, be critical of looking at, waiting for people to stuff up and waiting for their mistakes and commenting on that. But there's half a dozen things they've done well and they fail to comment on those. So it's it's really seeing, looking for and seeing the good in people and, and praising that and encouraging that and encouraging people to, to do that. But it's also from a systems perspective, it's job design, making sure that people are working with their strengths, not their weaknesses. So how are we designing jobs where, where that's happening? So it's it's complex, but it starts with a mindset of how do we utilise and leverage from what people are already good at. Yeah, good. Nice answer. Now, Drew Dawson, a mate of mine, I don't know if you know him, he's an organisational psych over in South mm-hmm. Oz. He's retired now, but he's done a lot of work with the mining companies and yeah. You know, construction and, you know, those really hard industries that mm-hmm. physically are demanding and mentally are demanding. And he, his view is workplaces shouldn't break people. Mm. So how do workplaces keep people safe? And there's the mm. physical, mm. but there's also the mental. And I think you've talked about this in your first mm. first episode, but what does that look like from a psychological safety perspective? It's interesting. I was talking to a CEO of a major company the other day about um, their senior leaders getting paid a lot of money so they should work really hard. And I said, yes, and. They need to work really hard and because they've got big jobs, absolutely, so there's an expectation. And in order to make that sustainable, they have to also take care of their well-being. So it's not... Uh, work hard or take care of your well-being. It's actually both. And a lot of people talk in dichotomous terms, yep. one or the other, and it's both um, to be sustainable. So there's little things. There's a, an effort recovery model, for example. What do you do every night, every weekend to recover from the intense periods of effort? And they could be from, you know, making sure at night time you go and do a hobby, do a, you know, a, a cooking course or something that engages your other brain or it could be listening to music or doing meditation or something. What do you want to do on the weekends? Do you do a whole lot of stuff and you come back on Monday and you're exhausted or do you do things on the weekend that actually energise you and re-engage you so by Monday morning you, you're ready to go again? So there's a whole lot of stuff about working hard and taking care of yourself so you don't burn out. The building blocks of well-being, mm. and again, you know, we talk about complexity, but you've just talked about music, mm. cooking, mm. creativity. My daughter's just started singing, so that's kind of you know super exciting to see her just you know ha- finding her joy in her voice. Mm. Um, for everyone, it's different, isn't it? It's not mm. there's not just one simple thing that you can do to keep you mentally fit, healthy, and well. So, mm. what are the building blocks? Yeah, good question. I, I certainly agree with you. It's individualistic. There's no, there's evidence, there's research, there's models, but it has to be right for the individual. Um, so it really starts from a point of view of making sure you understand well-being, you prioritise it, and 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 make sure that that's something you focus on, rather than, for example. 
focusing on if you're a, a working male, uh, your main form of success is, is money, for example, making sure that well-being is right up there in terms of your purpose and your meaning in life. Um, and then it's the little things from there, once you prioritise it, um, that you do daily. There's a guy called um, BJ Fogg who's written a book yep. called Tiny Habits. Yep, it's what, it. what are your tiny habits every single day? What's your, what do you do first thing in the morning? Do you wake up and look at your phone? Or do you actually wake up and maybe do some breathing or go and do some exercise? So it's the little habits that you build every day and it's just as easy to build bad habits as it is good habits. Uh, and so you need to stop and look at yourself and say, have I got good habits or have I got bad habits? And, and just change the little things on a daily basis. And the little things make it achievable, don't they? Because yeah, if you on. look at your life and you go, man, I've got too many bad habits, <laughs> too many things that I've got to change, you're never going to change. Hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too so big. So the message is little things. Tiny. And BJ Fogg, he's written the book, but he's also he, he also has a podcast and he has a whole a, host you, of resources. If you Google BJ Fogg, you'll see a bunch of stuff on the internet, which is, yeah, podcasts and um, I think he's even got a TED Talk. All he sorts has got of a things. TED Talk. He tells this great little story that I'll just briefly share. This is a good example. He's a, he's a fit runner but he um, wanted to get stronger in the upper body. He goes, all right, what's the trigger I do, something I do every day, uh, I want to do, um, and I want to do push-ups. And so he said, right, I drink a lot of water to stay healthy, but I go to the toilet a lot. Oh, so I go to the toilet about five times a day. Every time I go to the toilet, I'm going to do pu- two push-ups. So that's what he started with, two push-ups every time I go to the toilet. And he did that for a month, and he goes, right, I'm getting stronger. And then eventually he adds more and more, and eventually he could do 100 push-ups. So it's an example of tiny habits yeah. from a trigger that you do every day to achieve some goal. No, it's a good story. It's a good yeah. story. So top five tips for staying mentally healthy in the work environment. So we've talked about the personal, what can I do as an individual to keep myself mentally fit, healthy and well, but what can the work environment do? What would be your top five? Um, the workplace can create the right environment. The individuals need to be able to step up and actually take advantage of the environment they're in. So it's a, it's a mutual obligation of the workplace plus the individuals. If you talk about the workplace, I would say the, the starting point is around leaders and their behaviours to create the right environment. There are system structures, processes too. So you need to look at, for example, in terms of um, any systems like performance metrics. If you're measuring uh, outcomes based on re- revenue but well-being is important, where's the KPI for well-being, for example, uh, you know, a happiness score or whatever we want to have. So there's systems, there's processes. Are you having performance conversations? What are you talking about? Are you talking about things that really matter? So I think it really does need to be a systems view from an organisational perspective. Knowing that leadership, daily behaviours of leaders are the most powerful impact, but there's a holistic view you have to take to create the right environment. Now, you're a performance guy. Mm. You're a, you started as an elite athlete. And elite athletes, and I think it's a great analogy because mm. they how do they improve their performance? They measure stuff. Mm. So that, that, that tiny bit of hydration can make you perform better or mm. that sleep can make you perform better yeah. why don't we use the same metrics in workplaces why don't we i know we measure things like uh, um accidents uh our leaders have dashboards but why don't we have these simple metrics that allow us to see if i pull this lever this will actually increase performance it's a really good question i think this goes right back to the historical legacy issues you know, if you think about, say, uh, Kaplan and Norton, 
in the 80s introduced the balanced scorecard approach because prior to that there was a massive focus on shareholder return or profit or those financial figures. And so they worked hard to change and have an approach where you look at system, you look at customer, people, process and finances. This then becomes even harder because it's under maybe the people one but it's harder to measure. It's not black and white. The numbers are the numbers. They're easier. Coming up with a metric for well-being, for example, is hard. You can do it, but I think I think we need to just keep pushing to have some clear metrics around well-being to make sure it's part of the conversation. Okay, and I like again. I think let's try to simplify it because you don't want it to be war and peace because mm. no one's going to be able to act on that. Mm. But you know, it's actually taking the little things that you say. Okay, what does this actually look like? So. Mm. When we think about, and you're dad to three kids, how old are your kids? Uh, 21, 19 and 16. Oh, they're adults. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mum to three, but mine are still, well, they're teenagers now, so anything could happen. But how do you get, how do you actually ensure that workplaces think about work and life balance? And I know that's been a bit, again, buzzy, like mm. work-life balance, oh, you need to think about your work and then you think about your life and you've got to get the balance right. And, but what does that actually mean in practice? Uh, I'd say it does start from the top again, so it has to be led from the CEO and even the board. We haven't spoken about the board yet, but the board has to have an influence here. What sort of reports are they asking for? What are they looking for? Are they actually part of this as well? And are they looking in the mirror at themselves and their role in this and then obviously taking it serious from there? And then you do have to look at the what 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 gets noticed, what gets measured, what gets spoken about every day, what are the conversations that are taking place as well every day. So you do have to, first of all, it has to care about it and make sure it's part of their mission and purpose. Once they do that and take it seriously, then it's about setting up the right systems to create this over the long term. Soft skills, what are they? People... People look at them as though they're, you know, dirty laundry or something. But what are they? To me, they're the glue. Soft yep. skills are the glue that holds it together. You can have a team that's doing all the right tasks and things, but if you don't have the soft skills, you don't create team cohesion, bonding, trust, psychological safety, all of those things that enable us to perform the tasks well. One little example of that is a guy, Stephen Covey's son, don't know his name, Stephen R. Covey, I think, wrote a book called The Speed of Trust and demonstrated that if you build trust, deep, real, genuine trust in someone, which is similar to but not the same as psychological safety, you can get a lot of stuff done really quickly. So uh, the soft skills are like trust that enables you to achieve outcomes. They're not soft though, are they? Mm. They're actually not soft and maybe they're the things that we should be measuring. We should relabel them as, I don't know. Hardcore skills. Hardcore skills. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll call them that. That's good. Okay. One thing that you could change in a workplace and the way it's structured, what would you change? Just one thing. To create wellbeing and psych yep. safety. Um, it'd have to be something to do with how leaders at the very top of the organisation are, I don't know, um, measured, monitored around wellbeing and that they, even the way they're recruited that right from the start, they take it seriously personally. If they do that, they'll change cultures. Yeah, good. Now, you've talked about Google and the example. Mm. Um, have you personally worked with a workplace that you look at and you go, you got it right, mm. you've absolutely nailed psychological safety? Probably. Um, not many, by the way. It's hard. We talk about this, it's hard to do, but 
I'm going to share the probably the favourite client of mine that's done a great job in this is the Art Centre Melbourne. Yep. There's a leader, Claire Spencer, who I had the privilege of coaching for a while, uh, and she's now got a top job in the UK. She transformed the Art Centre and didn't make it perfect, but she was a leader that uh, was vulnerable, created psych safety, um, but was also inspiring and visionary. So I would say... The closest to this has been my experience working with Claire and the Arts Centre. The Arts Centre is really interesting and having just been to Hamer Hall and that's the whole precinct, I mean that is about creativity and it's about connection and it's about people. Do you think that had something to do with it? She actually got the importance? She certainly, in the culture chain, she did a book called The Role You Play and everyone plays a role internally. So she used the significance of what the Arts Centre is about to influence the culture Having said that, I think the challenge is when you've got a not-for-profit organisation, whether it's the Art Centre or we work with, say, the RSPCA, yep. you've got a lot of people who are passionate but sometimes misaligned. So what she was able to do is harness their passions and align them in the right direction through it. But her style was vulnerable and her style, um, she cried in front of others. She was human and real and authentic and people loved that and found it inspiring. Beautiful story. We love the Art Centre. Mm. Final question. Why is it so challenging for workplaces to flourish? I think it's like habits, like anything. It's hard to change your own habits. You're then trying to change the habits of 100, 1,000 or whatever people. It's hard work, um, but it absolutely can be done uh, with the right um, purpose and intent. Well, I thought that was the final question, but now that you've said (laughs) that. So we saw massive change in occupational health and safety around physical safety. So, you know, back in, back in the mm. 50s, 60s, you know, uh, no harnesses, um, people being killed on construction sites, it suddenly changed, didn't it? And, you know, mm. safety was safety 101, number one. Mm. Um, and there are now mm. workplace health and safety officers who go in and, and check to see that people are physically safe in their work environments. Mm. Do you think we're going to end up there with psychological safety? Well, I think if we harness the momentum from the COVID's actually been good, it's created pain and created an awareness this stuff is important. So I think if we can harness that, um, yes. Hayden Fricky, thank you. Life Untangled. You. Next episode, your book. Thank you very much, Joan. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Life Untangled. I'm Professor Jane Burns, chatting all things life, heart and head. You're listening to another Torched Original. Are you feeling stuck when it comes to creating content for you and your business? Would you like a podcast of your very own? Or maybe you'd like to stand out and reach new audiences. Head to gettorched.com. That's G-E-T-T-O-R-C-H-T.com today. And we look forward to helping you on your content creation journey.